Welcome to the Mama Truth Show, where soulful mamas embrace the whole truth of the messiness and magic of motherhood. Check us out at mamatruthshow.com. Here's your host, Amy Ehlers, the Wake Up Call Coach. Hello, mamas. It's Amy Ehlers, the Wake Up Call Coach here, and happy Mama Truth Monday. I'm so excited to be with all of you today. We have a super special guest, um, someone that I'm sure a lot of you probably know from her incredible work in the world. We have none other than the luscious Lissa Rankin. She's the New York Times bestselling author of Mind Over Medicine, The Fear Cure, and her newest book, The Anatomy of a Calling. And she's a physician. She's a speaker. She has an amazing, incredible institute called the Whole Health Medicine Institute. And she is definitely a mystic. She's a spiritual seeker. And of course, she's also a mama. So I'm so excited to have her here today on the Mama Truth Show so we can talk about motherhood and callings and really um, break it down like that. She's also a dear friend, so that all of you know, she um, we encountered each other years ago and we're in a mastermind group for a couple of years. We've had the opportunity to co-lead together on courses like Find Your Calling, which we co-led also with Martha Beck and Visionary Ignition Switch. We ran a mastermind together for a while, and she's just a dear soul and um, one of the most fascinating people I know in the world, I have to tell you all. <laughs> so with that, hi, Lisa. Oh, my. <laughs> you better be fascinating, I know, lady. right? Now I feel like pressure. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Hi, honey. Hi, love. Oh, my goodness. Thanks so much for being on the Mama Truth Show. I just... I, first of all, I have to tell everyone, if you have not read all of Lissa's books, I highly recommend them all. And this latest one, The Anatomy of a Calling, um, the subtitle, A Doctor's Journey from the Head to the Heart and a Prescription for Finding Your Life's Purpose, is a stunning book. I highly, highly recommend it. It is so inspiring to um, have the opportunity to really go on your soul's calling and your life's purpose purpose journey with you, Lissa, through the book. I just love it. Everyone, you can check Lissa out at LissaRankin.com. And the book, The Anatomy of a Calling, you can find TheAnatomyOfACalling.com. Definitely highly recommend grabbing three copies. I always say one for you, one for someone that you know right now, and then hold on to one so that you can give it as a surprise gift to someone when your inner wisdom is just like, pfft. They need the Anatomy of a Calling book, and you can go grab it for them. <laughs> um, it's just it's such a beautiful book. Um, I just so appreciate your vulnerability and allowing people in on your own journey. Maybe you can just start by just telling us a little bit about your journey of finding your calling and your life's purpose. Well, you know, it's such a – I think one of the misconceptions or the myths that we have about finding your calling is that there's only one. So mm-hmm. – I thought that I had found my calling when I was seven, and I was the the local newspaper nicknamed me the Squirrel Girl because I uh, I had found a nest of four newborn baby squirrels that had been abandoned by their mother, and my mother was kind of teaching me about the facts of life and such about the cycle of life, and these babies are going to die because they've been abandoned by their mother, and I was having none of that. And I insisted that my parents take me to the veterinarian so I could learn how to nurse these little babies back to health. And, you know, feeding them with an eyedropper, dog's milk, and my my parents got permission for me to take these little babies in a 
in a little tote bag to to second grade, you know, because they had to be fed every two hours. <laughs> and all four of them died. And it was absolutely heartbreaking to my little seven-year-old self. But it was really cementing my commitment to serving the life of other other life forms and that the lives of others mattered to me early. And so I did that. I took care of like 22 squirrels before I went to medical school and learned how to practice on humans. And I thought that was my calling. I really did. I thought medicine was my calling and, and my medical training was absolutely brutal. And some of the stories in the anatomy of a calling tell about the trauma of my medical education. Like the book starts with what I called the night of four dead babies. And this was not the four dead squirrels. This was four dead human babies. And it was absolutely brutal, heartbreaking for, I know most of you who are listening are mothers and you can only imagine the trauma of being a mother who has to give birth to a baby who dies, who has died in, in utero or, you know, giving birth to a live baby and having it die right after birth. Mm. But also from the perspective of the healthcare provider, I was, you know, a 27-year-old medical resident, and I was the one who was delivering those babies, and it was really, really, really painful. So in spite of the fact that I, I, I felt really drawn to serve the life of others, you know, also a lot of what being a doctor is about is conscious death mm-hmm. and serving, serving the heart, serving love in the face of the end of life as well. So, you know, it was it was kind of a really challenging calling because not only was not only is being a doctor just inherently difficult given that you have a front row seat on life and death and that the hours are brutal and I was working, you know, 72-hour call shifts and where I wouldn't sleep for three straight days and I was required to operate and such and and I was seeing 40 patients a day in my in my practice. It was, you know, that in and of itself is pretty rough. But the part that I found the most difficult was that there was a subculture or a culture, let's say, in medicine that essentially squashes the nature of the divine feminine. And I was a very feminine little girl, a very feminine, you know, college student and medical student, very very feminine in my nature and very in touch with my emotions very open in my heart and that was not uh, that was not supported mm. in my medical education in fact the opposite was true i was shamed for feeling emotion when four babies died in one night and i was shamed for not being strong enough because i would cry with my patients i would deliver this baby that had died and hold it in my arms and cry and crawl into the bed with the mother and and place this baby in in her arms and and hold the three of us in the, in the bed and my male my male teachers would come in and scream at me you know buck up rankin you're never going to amount to anything in this world if you don't learn to you know rein it in right and so that that really honestly was the hardest part it wasn't the hours it wasn't the death it was that i my authentic nature was being squelched and I was being told that it was wrong to be who I was. And it led to so much pain and, you know, trauma in my nervous system that by the time I was 33, I was taking seven medicines for a whole host of of chronic health conditions, including I, I had high blood pressure. I was taking three pills 
and my blood pressure was still 180 over 110. I was having these bouts of PSVT, paroxysmal supraventricular tachycardia, where my heart rate would go up to 250, and they'd have to put me on the cardiac monitor and shock it back to, to normal. Oh, my gosh. Um, this was in my 20s. This, uh, this was going on uh, during my medical training. And so my body was really not tolerating this, and my emotional body was not tolerating it either. And by the time I was 35, I was floridly suicidal, only I was pregnant with my first baby, and I, the, the ultimate despair of realizing that I couldn't actually kill myself because I'd be killing my baby, and I couldn't do that, was just, I felt so helpless in the face of that level of despair. And then my perfect storm hit, so I was already sort of at the end of my rope when I gave birth to my daughter by C-section, and within two weeks, my healthy young brother wound up in full-blown liver failure in the ICU on the transplant list as a rare side effect from the antibiotic Zitromax that he was taking for a sinus infection. And then my 16-year-old dog died, and then my beloved father, who was 59 and also a doctor, died of a brain tumor. This all happened within two weeks. And it absolutely threw me into almost paralysis, except I wasn't allowed to be paralyzed because I only got four weeks to have a postpartum leave. So three days after my dad's funeral, I had to be back in the OR doing C-sections, delivering babies. I still had a C-section scar that hadn't fully healed. You know, when we when we deliver women who have a C-section, we tell them they can't go back to work for 8 to 12 weeks, but I had to be back four weeks later. And I literally wasn't even healed. And I was breastfeeding and unable to get my breast milk to let down when I was on call because I was so stressed out. And my poor baby is like, you know, the, the trauma of having to separate from my baby right after having to separate from my father. And the whole thing was just, I look back and I think, oh my God, how did I survive that? Yeah. And I was so you know, the, I was so emotionally shut down and at the same time, like, so emotional. <laughs> so I was really just a, a hot mess. And it took me a year. I, I The night that I, that I was really suicidal when I was pregnant, I was about 28 weeks pregnant with Sienna. And that night I was on my knees and I had just had, the, I, the whole story of this is in the anatomy of a calling and it's, it's a heartbreaking story of what led me to this moment. But I wound up on my knees just in absolute despair, like crying out to God. And in this moment, I heard this voice that said, sweetheart, you're going to have to quit your job. And I was like, who's that? And, of course, my, the mind kicks in and says, you can't quit your job. You're, you know, your husband doesn't work. You're the stay-home you're, you know, he's the stay-home dad. He's going to be the stay-home dad. You're the full-time provider for your family. You've got a mortgage. You've got a car payment. You went to school for 12 years. You've still got medical school debt. Plus, it would cost you $120,000 to free yourself in order to buy out your medical malpractice tale in case anybody ever sues you. You can't quit your job. Plus, this is your calling. You can't quit your calling. And the voice was so loving. It was so extraordinarily tender and the voice was like you don't have to do it now but the time is going to come and you just need to make peace with what's true 
And I just knew, I just knew in that moment. I mean, it was really the only thing that kept me, that, that and the fact that I was pregnant was the only thing that kept me alive that night. But I just knew in that moment that it was true, that I was going to have to quit my job and that I didn't have to know how. I just had to make peace with what was true and that I would be shown what to do. And so <laughs> what happened what happened after I quit my job is sort of the is sort of the, the plot line of the anatomy of a calling because it has been one crazy journey. And I in the anatomy of a calling I used Joseph Campbell's hero's journey as a map for finding and fulfilling your calling. And really it's a map of the spiritual path because embarking upon the spiritual path is absolutely a hero's or heroine's journey. It is not for the faint of heart. And it, you know, it will take you to the darkest shadowy caves and also to the, the most pinnacled extremes of euphoric bliss both like <laughs> signing up for the full range of the human experience when you say yes to to the hero's journey and really it was it wasn't until nine months after I quit my job which again the story of that was a whole other trauma but it wasn't until nine months after I quit my job and I was at Esalen Institute and there's a there's a whole magic story about how I ended up there mm -hmm. but I was at Esalen Institute and I realized and it was nine months, and everybody made fun of me because, you know, I was an OBGYN. And here, nine months later, I realized that you can quit your job, but you can't quit your calling. And I was, once again, on my knees on this bridge over a river surrounded by redwood trees in Big Sur, California, when I recommitted to my calling, which had changed shape. It wasn't to go back to the hospital. But it was to go back to medicine in a new way, and I had no idea what that was going to look like, and I was so scared. And as I sat there saying yes to this, and this is one of the first phases of the hero's journey, is the hero is in the ordinary world kind of slogging through life when the hero hears the call to adventure. And the hero's initial reaction to the call to adventure is, hell no, hell no. It's too scary. It's too hard. You know, the mind has a thousand reasons why that can't be. And yet the heart knows that in time, <laughs> in time, you must say yes. And the appearance of the magical mentors, and there's all this, there's, there's this flow that happens once the heart says yes, that takes the hero out of the ordinary world and into the special world where synchronicities abound and magical beings appear and there are dragons to slay and you know the adventure has begun i had no idea what i was being what i was saying yes to when i said yes on that bridge but after saying yes i stood up and i put my hands on this iron railing around the bridge and the railing was pulsing and i thought this is some weird thing it's like my my hands like it's my heart i'm feeling my heartbeat i'm feeling it's like the metal. I'd never felt that before. And I went running around Esalen putting my hands on every other <laughs> every other rail <laughs> at Esalen. And there were many of them. And there were no pulses in any of the others. And I went back to that bridge and I put my hands like kind of like scared <laughs> to touch this railing. And I put my hands back on there and there it was. Boom, 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 boom. And it felt like the pulse of the universe. 
And I had no, like I said, I had no idea what I was signing up for. It was only recently, about a year ago, I was teaching there, and I went back to that same spot, and I put my hands on the same railing, and it was still, I still felt the pulse. Mm. And I, I fell back to my knees and just cried and cried and cried. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't you tell me how hard this was going to be? Mm. And the voice that I heard said, because you wouldn't have said yes. But I felt just overwhelming gratitude, like so grateful that I had had the courage to say yes, because the number of magical things that have transpired, I mean, I couldn't have, that was 2008. I can't, I could not have predicted what the next eight years would hold for me. I couldn't have visioned it, which is why, you know, things like vision boards and all these sort of law of attraction manifestation tools or whatever, I'm telling you, I could not have I could not have made a vision board about this. I could not have intuited this. Like it was larger. What was about to happen was such a mystery that I couldn't, my small self at that point, my capacity for imagination was smaller than what was possible. Mm-hmm. So, man, Amy, it has been, <laughs> it's been, it's been a journey. It has. Well, witnessing you on your journey has been so profound and 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 just jaw dropping. I mean, at every turn. Um, just well, to and this it, this week know. has been the ten year anniversary of my perfect storm. Mm. My daughter just turned ten. The ten year anniversary of my dad's death was last week, and so I, I'm really in that space of like, holy crap! Like, yeah, look what happened. Yeah, I once heard one of the monks at Green Gulch Sun Center say that meditation is important because we have to take a moment to just say, wow, that happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Wow, that happened. Yeah. Well, well, and what I love, and, and this, I never really um, connected this dot, but I, I love that becoming a mom saved your life. Right. Literally. Literally. Yeah. And that Sienna, um, Lissa's daughter, I mean, she's such a magical little fairy child and it's no mistake right that that she was like um excuse me <laughs> no you will not be doing that mom like <laughs> you will be moving forward and moving on right, right. you know and and I know that there's mamas that are listening right now to your story that are just like wow and I know some of you that are listening feel really um connected to your purpose connected to your calling you you're on your your hero's journey um, right now as we speak, and I know that others of you may feel totally disconnected and not really understand. And before we started recording here, Lisa, I loved what you were saying about how callings, you know, we have these ideas that callings are supposed to be these grandiose things. And sometimes um, the calling is being a mom and raising conscious children. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah. yeah. You know, when I when I go out and I talk about finding and fulfilling your calling, you know, especially I start talking about its relationship to health, you know, because there's lots of data showing that those those who feel like they're on purpose have, you know, greater longevity, less likely to have chronic illnesses and such. Um, when I start talking about that, it, it taps a certain nerve in some people as if they feel like their calling is supposed to be this big thing. Mm. Like, they're supposed to be doing what you and I are doing, Amy, right? Like, writing books and getting up on stage or, you know, blogging. Or or they're supposed to start a nonprofit and save the world. Or they're supposed to go work for an aid 
you know, an aid organization in Africa or like it's supposed to be this big noble mm. thing. And I don't think that's what a calling is at all. I think callings, first of all, I don't think it's any one thing. I think we might have 10 callings a day. Yeah. I mean, you might have 10 opportunities to embody love in the world every day. So the calling might be as simple as being in the line at Starbucks and sensing that the person behind you is having a rough day and buying them a cup of coffee. Mm. That could be a calling. Mm. It could be quitting your noble job working for a nonprofit to stay home with your sick grandmother. Mm. It could be, you know, making certain sacrifices in your life in order to take care of an autistic child. Mm. Or just to devote yourself completely to raising conscious children in the world. And those who know they're on purpose, this is, this is the difference, I think, is when you're really on purpose in what you're doing, you feel, that, you feel that meaning in what you're doing. You feel that sense of purpose. And you feel that your love is being expressed in the world and that your love matters and it's being received where it needs to be received. Mm. How that happens, it does not matter one bit. And I think the pain that people sometimes feel is that they feel that there is actually something else that's calling them, in addition to maybe being raising conscious children, and that maybe they have a story that says, I can't fulfill my calling and be a good mom, that if I actually pursued what my heart yearns for, then my family would would um, suffer. suffer. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes that's true. Right, right. Sometimes that's true. So in certain circumstances, I mean, I have some friends that have really challenging children who have their act of love in the world has been a kind of sacrifice or postponing. I won't even say it's a sacrificing; it's just a postponing, and yet that the, the person that I'm thinking of knows that that is her gift of love in the world. She knows that that is her calling right now, and she's totally owning it. So she's not saying I'm failing because I'm not doing this other thing that is my passion. She's saying I am absolutely on smack dab in the center of my purpose by putting that on hold so that I can be 100% present for the opportunity to practice love in the world that has been shown to me today, which is different than the thing that maybe her ego is grasping at. Right. But she's owning that, and she's feeling fully fulfilled in that, knowing that there will come a time where, she, you know, where her priorities will, will shift yeah. and the children will be older and she'll be able to pursue this other passion. So I think people can get a lot of conflict around that, and it's not necessary because every day you can have that deep sense of purpose and meaning in your life when you tune into the opportunities to practice your love in the world and you have the courage to say yes. I love that, practicing your love in the world. And it really, it just has me really feeling into that, us bringing the perspective called I'm on purpose, like infusing that in every area of our life, whether that's picking up our kids from school or doing the dishes of that night, or working on your novel, or going and speaking on stages, or whatever it is, like really choosing to come from 
that perspective of purpose can allow you to infuse such a um, a moment of peace into your heart. Like it can just soothe that part of you that's worried that you're not doing enough. Well, when, think, you know, I think you, um, you know, we, we talked a lot about this, Amy, when you and I taught Visionary Ignition Switch. Yeah. There is a tremendous, I don't even, I, I almost don't know how to put words to it. There's, there's a tremendous um, expansion and feeling of fulfillment in the heart when you know that you are doing God's work in the world mm. and that you are being used as a vessel of love. Yeah. And it's, it's a far um, more fulfilling and satisfying feeling than having your book hit the New York Times list or yes. doing a PBS special yes. or getting up on stage in front of 10,000 people. Yeah. I've done all these things, and they feel good. But it doesn't, it doesn't hold a candle. That small moment, like the other day, I was walking through the mall. I never go to the mall, but I had to pick something up, and I'm walking through the mall. And I hear this little voice. It's the same voice I've come to recognize, that I call it my inner pilot light. And there's a lot of information in the anatomy of a calling about my relationship with this voice. And the little voice says, go to the And I said, why? I don't like the gap. I don't buy anything at the gap. And the voice is insistent. Again, please go to the gap. I walk in the gap, and somebody has just coded. They're, they're, they're unconscious on the floor, and everybody's rushing around. And I was like, oh, I... Now I know why I was supposed to go to the gap. Mm. And it's just a simple thing, right? It's like, okay, here's an opportunity for me to practice love in the world. Mm. I love that. And so if we're really tuned in, there are opportunities like that all day. I almost vision it like there's the seen world and the unseen world and an increasingly thin veil between the two. And there's all these like spirit guides and angels and animal totems or whatever on the other side. And if humans are willing to start taking instructions, they're on the other side with their pom-poms going, yay, we've got one. (laughs) Right, totally. (laughs) (laughs) She's listening. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I just want to inspire everyone to get really like, yay, they got another one. Because I know that everyone listening right now, that you are a conscious soulful, mindful mama and human being and soul in the world and that as you tune in more and more to your inner wisdom, to your inner pilot light and just listen to those little whispers that you can be love in the world on an even deeper level. And I, gosh, Lisa, I can't believe that we're coming to the to end, to the end already. I mean, you and I, well, and listen, I have talked for hours and a lot of that hours. is recorded. <laughs> We've done a lot of recordings that are very long, and I'd love to have you come back on the show, Lisa, and maybe talk a little bit to the mamas also about health and medicine and and helping our children in that way, too, because I just love your – you have such incredible knowledge in so many different areas, and thank you so much for being on the show today. um, One of the questions that I ask all of the Mama Truth Show um, guests that come on is just what's um, messy about motherhood for you right now and what's magical? Oh, what a great question. Mm. I, I have to say right now I'm in a really magical phase. I, I, I'm reluctant to even say that, but that's, that's the authentic truth. It's yeah. like right now my relationship with my daughter is so good. We just got back from a month in Australia, and I've been kind of initiating her into – magic, you know, into mm. the, the sort of mysticism that has been part of my practice. And so she's starting to have her own 
individual mystical experiences, and it's so sweet to be able to just kind of midwife her into that spiritual realm. So mm. it's, you know, my relationship with her is, is in quite a magical place. I'd say the messiness, because there's there certainly has been many, many phases of very messiness. Mm. Um, you know, the messiness is is just, um, you know, my husband and I got divorced a couple of years ago, and he's living next door, and we're, and he's now living with his girlfriend, who's a former client of mine, and it's it's working beautifully. But, you know, we're still navigating the, um, you know, the, the challenges of kind of co-parenting and trying to do that in a really conscious way where Sienna doesn't get put in the middle at all. Like for a while we had no custody agreement and at all. And so we would just let her pick whose house did she want to sleep at at night. And she just came to us recently and she was like, can you two pick where I sleep? Because I don't ever want to have to feel like Aww. I'm picking Aww. between the two of you. Yeah. So it's little things like that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I mean, what a testament to you and to Matt, Sienna's dad of, a, just, you know, letting her have that freedom and then what a testament that she's conscious enough and able to speak up enough and feel so safe enough to come to you guys to be like, yeah, could you make me a schedule? Like, I can't do this you know? decision anymore. Like, what a what an incredible human being. I have to tell you, this kid, I learn lessons from her all the time. Right. She is such my guru. And yeah. it's, there's a letter in the Anatomy of a Calling that I wrote to her when she was two weeks old and yeah. I was spot on. Yep. And she, she came to me a while back and she said, Mommy, I'm feeling a little love deficient today. <sighs> I really could could use a massage, so why don't we put on some nice music and light some candles, and you can give me a massage with my favorite aromatherapy oils. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then like two days later, she's like, Mom, I'm feeling a little overstimulated. I'm going to go into my bedroom and be by myself and close my door, and please don't come in without knocking. Hmm. And I was like, wow, can you imagine if all of us felt comfortable and trusted that we could ask for love when we need it and set boundaries when we need to, and that our our requests and our boundaries would be respected. Mm. Wow. So powerful. She is she is a little a little Buddha child <laughs> and I love the letter that you wrote in the book. So thank you, Lissa, you so much. I just want to remind everyone you can check Lissa out at LissaRankin.com dot com and her book, The Anatomy of a Calling, the website the Anatomy of a Calling dot com um, you'll find a Fulfill Your Calling kit right there that's totally free on that page. I hope that you'll go and take advantage of that and pick up a copy, if not multiple copies, of Lissa's latest book and really all of her books. She's such an incredible writer. Um, I just highly recommend them all so much. And thank you, Lissa, and thank you, Mamas. We'll be back next Monday for Mama Truth Monday. Um, where I'm going to be talking about how our children are mirrors for us in for the better and the worse. Oh, man, Let me tell you. The truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a beautiful week. Thank you so much. Signing off. Sending much love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to share the Mama Truth show with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at iTunes. And make sure to visit MamaTruthCircle.com to become part of our free community of soulful mamas. Until next time, keep embracing the messiness and the magic of motherhood.